Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to bring you this conversation today with my guest because it's both an important one, but also a really fun one. My guest is Rebecca or Bex Weller. She's a health coach and a life coach, an author and a speaker out of Perth, Australia. And she's the creator of Sexy Sobriety, which she's going to tell us all about. I first found Bex during my sobriety journey early on when I read her memoir, A Happier Hour, and I found her Instagram account and all her social accounts under Sexy Sobriety. And what I love about Bex is she makes sobriety the opposite of dull and boring and shows us that life without alcohol can be sexy and fun and adventurous and joyful which is awesome because so many of us hold on to drinking even when it's not working for us most of the time because we're afraid that life without alcohol will be living without adventure and without romance and all the fun things in life. So a big part of Bex's work is to show us that sobriety is actually where the adventure 
is in life. And she says that no matter what your pattern is or reason for drinking, there's a whole other side of life without the booze, a side that's brighter and that brings out the best in you. So Bex, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Casey. I'm so excited. And I have to admit that when I first found you, I loved following you because you're from Australia. I mean, I've never (laughs) been to Perth, but I've been to Australia four times and gone almost everywhere else. So your pictures, especially right now, it being summer there are killing me, but I also (laughs) love looking at them. (laughs) I'm so happy to hear that. I, I always feel the same way, you know, when it's the dead of winter here, it's it's summer in the Northern Hemisphere and I always look at the beach photos and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. So yeah. I totally understand that. <laughs> and do you live really near the beach? Uh, it's about a 20 minute drive. So not too bad. Yeah. Because the beaches in Australia are just beautiful and epic oh, and amazing. They They're stunning. You know, we were at the beach yesterday and I said to my love, do you think we'll move closer to the beach? Do you think we'll become like everyday beach people? (laughs) We'll see. Yeah. Well, 20 minutes away is pretty amazing. (laughs) As someone who lives in Seattle, we are near water everywhere, but it is sort of lakes and the sound. It's not quite the same as sandy beaches. It's the ocean. Yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah. So let's dive right in. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on is You know, I coach women all the time quitting drinking. And in the beginning, one of the hardest parts for them is the idea that they'll be giving up on fun and adventure or that not drinking will somehow be seen as a liability in their social or their professional lives. Yes. And I totally understand this. This was one of my biggest fears as well. I was so afraid that I was never going to be fun ever again, that I would never have fun ever again. I had created this life where I was always the life of the party. I was always the the clipboard queen, my friends used to call me. You know, I was always the organizer of the group and I was getting everyone together and I always wanted to go to all of these comedy nights and live music gigs and have all of these parties and, and dinner parties and things like this. And when I just sort of started to think about my issues with alcohol, I realized that I didn't really enjoy any of those things. They were all just a way to get to more alcohol. It was all just a a reason to drink more. And when I wanted to stop drinking, I was like, what? I created this life where that was my only route to fun. I didn't know how else I was going to have fun if not with drinking. Like I just imagine something so boring. And I and I know that with uh, when we look at films and movies and we read books. So often they talk about people who stop drinking and how miserable they are for the rest of their lives and how they're always white knuckling it. And I thought, this is not going to cut it. I had this this need for, for fun. And I know when I have been successful at overhauling my diet in the past or any sort of lifestyle change, if it's not fun to me, it doesn't stick. If it feels like deprivation and punishment and it feels too hard, it's not going to stay like it's not it's not something that's going to be easily acclimatizable. <laughs> I so I needed to create something an idea of how to make it fun and this was something that I sat down and I'm a bit of a list geek and I started to brainstorm of like what could this even look like? And I think the danger is when we've been drinking for so long and for me it was 20 years, my entire adult life of 
just having alcohol as my social or fun outlet, you don't remember what you used to enjoy. Like I really had to think back of like before wine came along, what sort of activities did I used to enjoy? When I was a teenager, I had fun and I didn't drink. So what was I doing? And it was this process of kind of uncovering and rediscovering ways to make life fun again and get back in touch with those natural joys. Yeah, I mean, that makes so much sense. And I think that we quit drinking around the same age. I quit like six months before I turned 40. So I was like 39. Were you around the same time? Exactly. Yes. On my 39th birthday, I turned 30 days sober. (laughs) So it was, I think it's sometimes those big milestone birthdays, right? When they're coming up and you start to think, this is not cute anymore. For me, I was like, you know, (laughs) all these things I've been doing for my 20s and 30s and and falling over and and being the life of the party, but then the sloppiest one at the end of the night. It's not so cute when you're entering your 40s. And so that was, yeah. I know my, I'm realizing this, this is going to come out afterwards, but this Thursday I hit five years and I always went away. It's our midwinter break. My kids are off. We always went away this week. So Australia, not Australia, Arizona or Hawaii or Mexico, we're spoiled, but we live in the, you know, Seattle, it's dark so much of the winter, like dark at 430 at night. So we always are like, we need to get away. Spring comes late. And I was in Arizona the week before I quit drinking. I quit like two or three days after I got back, which should have been this beautiful, gorgeous time, you know, with my kids. And I had a two-year-old and an eight-year-old, and we were all in a hotel room with two queen beds with my husband. And I started, I was super drunk, don't remember a lot. I remember waking up and throwing up red wine in the bathroom and trying to be so quiet which of course I wasn't, everybody could hear me, but I was like, I'm 39 years old. Like this isn't cool. And nor is it any fun to be trying to throw up red wine quietly while my family sleeps in the next room. Exactly. It's those epiphanies that I, and I had one similar, it's the bathroom. I think the bathroom, we always had these epiphanies, right? (laughs) I was in the shower and I, and I was just like, It was after a night and I couldn't remember how I got home. I couldn't find my phone and I was just in the shower sort of shaking and thinking, what am I doing to myself? Like, when is this going to stop? When is it going to be enough? When is it going to be at a point where things need to turn around? Yeah. And what I loved about what attracted me to you was like even the name of the book, right? It's called A Happier Hour and it's so positive and optimistic and joyful And obviously it doesn't always start that way, right? Like everyone has whatever their version of that bathroom moment is where they're like, I can't do this anymore. And it has to be sort of a low point to give up something because almost all of us structure our entire social lives around drinking. And those are all our friends and that's what we do. So how did you get to that happier hour point? Exactly. And I think that's such an important point as well is that Those lows, and of course, you know, for the first few months of sobriety, it wasn't all happiness and fun and joy. There was a lot of crying. Like if you read my book, A Happier Hour, I cried a lot. I cried more in those months than I had in the previous years. 
And all of those times that were really, really hard, I call them growing pains because that's what it feels like. It feels like it was so, so difficult, but it also taught me so much about strength and resilience and courage and how to keep going in the face of adversity and and what I truly wanted in life. So those down moments are so important as well. And how I sort of got to the more fun things is I just kept trying to focus on what I was gaining rather than what I was giving up. Like just kept making my list. And there's a few things, uh, examples that I give in the Sexy Sobriety program. And one of the first things I started with was a list of 10 things better than booze. Nice. <laughs> and I just wrote down all these things just, and I, I would write these lists and I would carry them with me everywhere so that if I went to an event and especially in the first few weeks of sobriety and it was so new and everyone had always known me as this party girl. And so for me to show up and not be drinking, of course there were questions. Of course it was like, what raised eyebrows and and whispers and like looks of like surely not so I would carry these lists with me and if it all got too much at a party or a wedding and things that I had to go to I would go into the bathroom and I would just open up this list and I would reread it and just remind myself of where I was headed all the things I was gaining in sobriety Mm -hmm. rather than what I thought I was giving up And that was so the key to me. And, you know, that list, it can include just silly things like that list for me. It had things like productive, happy mornings, no headaches, no hangovers. It had glowing skin and eyes that sparkle, better digestion and feeling better in my own skin, more money for other treats and, Mm -hmm. and little rewards and things for myself and better and stronger memories of the good times like sober, deep and meaningful talks with people, actually remembering the entire night, you know, all of these things, I wrote all of them down. And it was just that point to to start the process of starting to think about what am I gaining in this? And I, and I approached it as an experiment because I didn't know how long I could go. I'd never gone longer than about 10 days, I think once yeah. every 14 days. And so I had no idea like how to do 30 days, how to do three months. And I was like, okay, well, let me just do an experiment. And for me, I just kept moving that goalpost. I got to 30 days and I was like, I actually feel pretty good. All right, let's do three months. I got to 90 days and and then I was like, well, you got to get to 100. Did that 100. And then I was like, okay, well, what about 180? Could I do 180? And I just kept stretching it that way because the idea of, forever just freaked me out and for some people it really works but for me it was just like that was just this abyss that I couldn't couldn't quite fathom of how I would ever get through that so just to move that goalpost really helped me to to be like okay let's let's focus on this next month what do you want to do in this next month besides drinking I love that last question so I also I always tell women don't think about forever no don't think about never again, because it will just trip up your mind so much. You're just going to be like, well, if I'm never going to drink again, I might as well drink one more last time, as opposed to, I just want to see how good I can feel after a month, after two months, after a hundred days. Like, and I really, I know in your program, you, your big goal is like 90 days, right? And then Mm -hmm. keeping going. And for me, it's a hundred. And I feel like those days are so important because you go through this cadence of ups and downs in your first hundred days. And if you sort of 
give in during one of the dips, you never get to the really good stuff. Mm-hmm. But the last thing you said was, what can I do or what do I want to do in this next month that isn't drinking? And I love the idea of like seasonal bucket lists or really mm-hmm. like planning out like, what do you want to do or what could you do that is fun and exciting that isn't drinking? Yes. And I love doing this seasonal bucket list as well. I've got one at the moment for summer and I'm like slowly ticking things off. Like even now, almost seven years sober, I'm still, I use these because, you know, I was reading that someone said the question that most adults find the most difficult is what do you do for fun? Because we, we tend to get logged down in responsibility and obligations and, and doing things. And we become very serious as well. And this key to fun and play is so important. So my summer bucket lists, you know, I write down things like going to uh, evening uh, outdoor markets or going to the beach or going to swim laps with my friend I'm doing later today. (laughs) And, you know, I have all of these things to, to remind me of like, okay, these are all the fun things that we're doing now and shifting that focus as well of things that you do with friends. I remember when I was still drinking and there was a woman I used to follow on Instagram. Uh, She wasn't a sobriety focused woman, but she didn't drink. And this fascinated me because I didn't know anyone else who didn't. So I was like, what does she do? How does she live? And so I would follow her and she would, she said once, you know, instead of meeting friends for cocktails now, I meet them to do yoga class or I meet them to go for a walk at the beach or I meet them for a coffee or lunch. And I was like, genius, <laughs> this yeah. is what I need to do. So when I stopped drinking, I was, I attempted to evolve a lot of my friendships. So I, w- I would reach out to them and say, hey, I'm going to this yoga class. Does anyone want to come to yoga class with me? And, you know, that's a, a good point to, for anyone listening is that evolving friendships can be a process as well. When you've had these drinking friends, and of course, I surrounded myself with people who wanted to drink because that's what I wanted to do. So when I stopped drinking, I was like, who am I going to hang out with now? I don't know anyone that doesn't drink. So I would start inviting them all to, to these different events. I would find sort of healthy activities and start inviting them. And and it was a process where at first, you know, I would say yoga class and everyone would be like, no, thanks. I'm not into yoga. (laughs) Okay. What about this food market? Like in the morning sometime? No, thanks. I'm not into that. And it's very easy to give up, but I was like, I can't just sit at home by myself. I need to keep going with this and persevere. And so I did. And so eventually, I mean, there was a, a hula hoop class in the park one day and I invited my friend and we she came and she had always been a drinking friend we didn't yeah. really hang out when we were sober and we had the best time we were killing ourselves laughing so we were both terrible at this hula hooping uh, but we had the best time and it was such a good reminder to me that when we're the ones who change when we're the ones who are shifting our entire life lifestyle it's it can be difficult for those around us as well to know how they fit in with us. And it can be a sort of big responsibility on our own shoulders to find those friends that we want to hang out with, to try to evolve those relationships and to remember that if it doesn't work the first time, you can keep inviting them to other things until something does stick. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. And I think I'm like you in that I was always the organizer and they're like, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And let's do a wine tasting weekend. 
because I've always been a planner and that actually can serve you really, really well when you quit drinking as well, if you let it. Because I mean, I would to the extent of like, I live in Seattle and I bought like, you know, walking Seattle books. And I was like, all right, I'm going to be a tourist in my own town and I'm going to check off every neighborhood. And I'm going to, instead of like, when I'd go to Paris, like instead of looking up the best wine bars and the most romantic restaurants, because a lot of times that's a drink trigger, like the best brunch spots, or I took a walking photography tour or a a moped tour tour out to Versailles. Versailles. I always say it wrong, but like there's so much you can do that you get to Versailles and it's not a drinking location. It is a gorgeous walkabout and, you know, you can look at everything and do everything. And so even just in your own town, like picking a walking route or a tourist route and taking pictures and going with a friend to get flowers like that can be amazing and fun. It's so true. And there's so many things that I I had lost touch with how to enjoy ordinary things, ordinary everyday things, because I have, I mean, obviously there's the, the brain chemistry part where I'd been drinking and altering the dopamine levels and so on. But also just that appreciation for joy. Like when I stopped drinking, I started just slowing down even now, like if I see like a bird land on a on a leaf or something, I will just sit there and just watch it. And it just, I'm spellbound. I love it so much. And I think nature can be so healing. We can find a lot of joy in nature when we first stop drinking and it can provide us with a lot of solace as well. The times where I felt distraught and devastated in early sobriety, where the, my emotions were all over the place. Going for a walk in nature just really helped to bring me back to center. And it helped me to then be able to see things with fresh eyes where I was like, okay, you know, you're feeling down today. Maybe I saw a photo on Facebook of everyone out at a party drinking or something and I hadn't been there. And I was like, I don't remember being invited to that. And I would be devastated. Going for a walk in nature, I was like, okay, well, you know, you're upset. What am I upset about? That I maybe am missing connection. And so if I'm missing connection, it's not the alcohol that will get me there. What will get me there is to text a few friends and set up a smoothie date, a lunch date, you know, set up something else that where I can connect with others in a way that feels true for me, that feels Mm. joyful. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the most important things that you can do, and you never do this in the beginning when you're drinking, is like, okay, I want to drink. Step one. Step two is what emotion am I feeling? Is it that I'm having fun and I want to make it even bigger? Or is it that I'm lonely? Or is it that I'm bored? Which is why I love having this conversation because boredom is huge. Or I feel less than, or I feel less fun. And then like, how can I solve for that emotion in a way that isn't like, let me knock myself unconscious with a bottle of wine? Yes, spot on. It all because it all comes down to that. It's when we're drinking, we're looking for a feeling. It's like either we want to feel a certain way or we don't want to feel a certain way. And so we are using alcohol to get to that. It's not the actual drink itself that we're wanting. And so like when I started to think about that, I was like, oh wow, okay. So every time I, I feel triggered or I feel a craving, what I can do is be like, what do you really want? 
Is it connection? Mm-hmm. Are you lonely? Well, how can we fix that? You know, in in a way that doesn't involve alcohol. Are you bored? Okay, well, if you're bored, let's make a list. Let's get some friends together. Let's go do something. You know, I, I would then just be able to coach myself through those triggers and cravings. Yeah. Well, and what about the sadness, the mourning of your life and your ritual in those places that you used to go all the time when you were drinking? Because that's real. The the grief you mean of, of yeah. like letting go of, yeah, it is, right? That grief, it's so funny because that life didn't serve me, that life of constantly binge drinking. It really did not serve me in so many ways. And yet I grieved for it hard in those early days. It was all I'd ever known. And I think so much of it is our identity is all tangled up in it. If I wasn't this woman who was first in line at the bar with the champagne, making sure everyone had a good time, then who the heck was I? Like, this is who I'd been. And it was also scary because what I discovered, because I thought I was Miss Extrovert, what I discovered when I stopped drinking was, oh, hello, awkward 16-year-old. <laughs> nice to yeah. meet you again. I was an introvert. and that Okay, was that's really hard for difficult. me to imagine talking to you, <laughs> that you're an introvert. Like, I don't I, see it. But. <laughs> oh, good. Um, yeah, and so this was a massive adjustment because when I was drinking, I always wanted the most people to come possible because then I would have more people to party with. If some people went home early, then I'd still have people, right? When I stopped drinking, suddenly I discovered that I, I really love having one-on-ones. So I will go out with a friend and we will sit down and I love looking into her eyes, having deeper, meaningful talk and really getting you know into the meaty stuff and not just talking about surface level stuff. Yeah. And I suddenly was like, gosh, what a turnaround of not wanting to be in huge groups so much, but really enjoying the one-on-one stuff because I'd never been like that. And then I started to remember, hang on, before I started drinking, I was always like that. My entire childhood, my entire teen years, I was so shy, so quiet. And, you know, little do we know that that person was still there. And it started to make sense to me why I used to sort of pre-game before I went to parties and things. You know, I would drink like near on half a bottle of champagne before I would even leave. Oh, I would totally pre-game too. Like not originally, but then oh, well, you're getting ready. It's time to get the, you know, the glass of wine out and then refill it. And then you're buzzed before you even go there. Exactly. And it was so crazy because I would spend like an hour, hour and a half making myself look really nice only to then, you know, because I've had this half bottle of champagne before I even got there, of course, I would end up a complete mess looking like I've been dragged through a hedge backwards by the end of the night. It was like, why did I go to so much trouble only to end up looking like that? Oh, good grief. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that going back and it's hard to remember, right? Because a lot of us, I started drinking seriously in college and it was to some extent to sort of get rid of that awkwardness in high school or who you are. It just smooths out. You know, a lot of us have anxiety or social anxiety or anxious brains. But when I go back and I'm like, when was I happiest in high school? I went on these two six-week backpacking trips. And it wasn't like, I am not a huge backpacker now, but it was with a group of like 10 kids at a time. And we would sit around the campfire and we would share like our deepest, darkest stuff and sing songs and hold hands. And I was just like, 
I felt like known and tingly and like so full of joy. And then once I quit drinking and kind of got brave, I went on a women's yoga retreat up on Salt Spring Island, BC, and we did yoga and ate amazing food. And we sat around at circles at night and we played guitar. And I was like, oh my God, this is the feeling. Like it, I hadn't felt it for like 20 years. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. And it's recreating that, right? It's rediscovering. And in the beginning, I always thought about it as redefining fun. My idea of fun had become so skewed where it was only what involved alcohol. If it didn't involve alcohol, it wasn't fun to me. And what I had to rediscover was like, what actually is fun to me, the real me, the sober me? And retreats like that, you know, you, you rediscovered those feelings that you you may have thought were were lost forever. But no, it's just that matter of consciously trying new things and seeing what feels good, what lifts us up, what make, makes us feel alive again in a new way. Yeah. So how did you figure out what that whole portfolio of options are? <laughs> Like, did you have a strategy for getting started? Because a lot of women are like, I mean, forget the first two weeks because you're just a mess and you're going to be sad and crying. And even after that, like there's so many questions. But once you start to sleep better and feel better and take baby steps into like experimenting, how did you start to build on that? Yeah, because that first month, you're so right. It was just like, it was tears. It was exhaustion. It was... I just didn't know what what the day would bring. So it was just riding the emotional roller coaster and staying focused on that 10 things better than booze. Like that really helped me in that first month. And then after that, I was like, okay, you know, I'm starting to, I think, get the hang of this. I'm feeling a little bit more adjusted and a little bit more energy, a little bit more uh, normal. Uh, What else can I do? And I started with a couple more lists because this is what I do. Oh, I'm a list maker too. <laughs> totally. I have I a list it. of like sober treats and a list of place, yes. I, places I want to go and where I want to travel and books I want to read. Like I make lists for everything. And I think this is so important in early sobriety because we forget, we develop amnesia. Like whenever I would get into a funk, whenever I would feel awful and, and devastated, I would forget everything that I had thought I knew about how to make myself feel better. So these lists really helped me of like opening them up. Okay. Oh, I see back to basics because we're relearning how to live again in many ways. Like I'd lived one way for so long to live in this entirely new way was so foreign to me. So I needed these game plans, these blueprints for where I was going. And one of the things I did was create one that I called a self-love menu. And so on that one, I had things that would make me feel better, things that made me feel happy and that I could do at any time. So like curling up into a chair with a favorite book or lighting a scented candle or going for a walk outside or dancing around the house or, you know, putting fresh sheets on the bed and uh, turning off the alarm and sleeping in, just little things that were easy to do every day so that if I was feeling like this is all too hard, this is all too heavy, I could look at this list and be like, okay, let me do one of these things and see if it makes it feel lighter, see if it makes it feel more joyful. So just sort of taking those steps. And then as I started to feel even better, I started to play with another list, which was about holistic highs, because I was like, you know, I love, 
I, I thought I loved that feeling of that buzz that when you first start drinking of like, oh, that feeling, you know, yeah. that sort of like release and stuff and stuff like that. And I thought when I'm drinking, like it would just be that first sip or two that would do that. The rest of the night I would be desperately chasing that feeling and it would never come. And sometimes it didn't come even in those first couple of sips. And so I was like, how can I create that feeling of, release or joy or, and I suppose this is coming back to what we were saying about the emotions. He's like, okay, if, if I'm feeling lonely, what, you know, what's something that I can do to to feel differently if I'm feeling in need of connection and so on. So I would write things down like, you know, traveling to new places or creating yeah. a new recipe that works or doing things for the first time in my business. And, and for others, this could be creatively. And I started experimenting with a ton of different things. And something I did in the Sexy Sobriety program is I created the adventure series where I was actually going to new places. And just like the sobriety experiment was, you know, such a big part of how I actually changed the lifestyle, I was also going to these different things and trying new things. So for example, I went to Singapore and I and I was thinking about how do we make new friends? Like if we have stopped drinking, perhaps we move to a new area. How do we find friends to have fun with? And I thought, you know, when we used to be at school or if you were in a job, whenever you're with a group of people, or even if you enroll in a class where there's like 12 classes over a term, something like that, and you're working together towards a uh, combined object objective, you form bonds with those people. You know, you tend to have friends where from times you're in college, times that you work together and they become lifelong friends. So it's like, what if I went to a new place and I enrolled in a cooking class and mm. would I make a new friend? And so I went there and I was like, you know, put my experiment hat on and, and go in there and try. And I did. Lo and behold, I made a beautiful friend that day during the, the cooking class. Another thing was I traveled to uh, Denmark and went to the oldest uh, amusement park in Europe. And I was like, could I? I remember loving amusement parks when I was a teenager. Could I get that wonder and joy back as an adult? Like, would it be mm. still be there? And so I went there and, oh my gosh, it so, was so magical. It was absolutely gave me tingles. I loved it so much. So I suppose coming back to your original question, I tried a ton of different things and some things that I tried, I didn't enjoy. Like I was like, ah, nope, I don't think that's for me. But then what, some, what did you try that you didn't what did enjoy? I, what did I try that I didn't enjoy? I suppose some, I suppose I went, I did a yoga challenge and I really enjoyed the challenge of it, but I didn't enjoy the actual yoga. I suppose I didn't enjoy it enough to go back that style yeah. of yoga. You know, so there's different things that you try and maybe you think, but I should like this. <laughs> Everyone yeah. else likes this, but you, you don't necessarily like it. And I think having, having a purpose, having something to look forward to, challenging yourself, being a part of something these are all ways to bring joy back to life. And, and you know, I, I also tried, oh, bike riding. I'm still getting the hang of bike riding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in early, in early sobriety, I got my bike tuned up and I also took a ton of walks outside of work. Like I would set my alarm and leave work and, and just go strolling, like listening to podcasts and stuff like that. But I also, I signed up for, they have a wanderlust mindful triathlon that travels around. 
And it's not like it's a 5K run, so it's not that far. But for me, after quitting drinking, that was far. But then it was yoga and meditation. And so, like, I keep saying I do yoga. I am not a yoga person. I only do it on, like, retreats or events or stuff. But, you know, they, like, painted your faces, you know, and it was amazing music. And they had a dance party. And, like, those kinds of things, you almost just need to, like, be inspired and sign up for them and go. And don't listen to yourself if you're like overthinking, like, I don't know if that's fun. I don't know. Because you do, you're like creating these new experiences and you actually have to try them. And it's okay if some of them aren't your bag. Yes, totally. Another one I did was acrobatic yoga where you, um, you know, the way you hang upside down in the, from the yes. rafters and stuff. That was a lot of fun. But you're totally right. You've got to just experiment with these things to find out what you like. Because if we've been drinking our entire adult lives, how do we know what all these th- things feel like? How do we know if they're fun or not until we try them again as adults? And you know, when I, my love, we were planning a trip and my love was saying, we will go hiking when we get there. And I was like, hiking, what are you talking about? It was to Norway. And my friend lives in Norway. And when I told her we were coming, she said, oh my goodness, we'll go hiking. We'll take you to the, to the highest peak and we'll we'll go up there. And I thought, she is so fit. Like she puts me yeah. to shame. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to die. How am I going to be able to keep up with her? And I never thought I would enjoy it. I never thought of myself as an outdoorsy person or that I would like anything like that. And lo and behold, I flippin' loved it. I love packing that backpack and knowing I've got everything with me for the day. I love the challenge of it. I love the endorphins that come out. I love the natural high and the views from the top. I absolutely loved it. And I was just floored by this because I'd never been that kind of person. And so I was like, well, I, I get to decide who I am now. I get to decide yeah. what feels fun for me and I can rewrite everything. And so did you have a vision, because you're a list person, of like the kind of person you wanted to be, like that new Ooh. identity without alcohol? Because I feel like, you know, the deepest level of habit change is identity change. And we kind of like as adults settle into this idea of what's possible or reasonable or practical. And we get away from like who we originally wanted to be, not like do, but like the kind of person. Yes. Oh my goodness. This was so helpful to me in the beginning. And I created a physical vision board or a mood board of pictures that I cut from magazines, of pictures of women splashing around in the surf or running on the the beach or doing yoga or reading or writing because I'd I'd always wanted to be a writer, but I'd never gotten around to it. It was something I talked about after 10 drinks, but never yeah. did anything about, you know, the next day it was like, oh yeah, maybe tomorrow. And there were so many things like this that I had never poured my entire heart and soul into. And that was such a big motivator for me as well to stop drinking was like, I, you know, when are you going to pour yourself into something? You're just going to sort of half-ass it for your entire life. And so I created this physical board, but I also created one on Pinterest so that I could carry it with me. And same sort of thing as my lists. Whenever I would be out somewhere, if it all got too much, I would go into the bathroom or out into the garden and I would scroll through my Pinterest board and see all of these women doing these things and living this life. And I was like, that's what I aspire to, that that's where I'm headed. 
right? I don't need a drink in this moment because I this is where I'm headed. And again, like having that blueprint or that image of where I'm going was so important because I didn't know anyone in my life that didn't drink and was happy about it. I didn't know that it could be more than, you know, I wanted it to be. And so just focusing on this image was like, okay, this is giving me strength. This is like, I I know what I'm, where I'm going. Yeah. I love like I'm looking around my office as I'm talking because I have three vision boards here and like (laughs) 20 out in my garage. I did a whole episode about like manifesting the shit out of life over the new year and like vision boards are my jam, but I did the same thing. I was going to, I was going to Italy and Croatia when I was four months sober and terrified that I would drink over that trip. And I found images of women walking down these little sort of Italian streets and, you know, sunrises and swimming. And I was just like, I want to get up early with my camera and take photographs of the canal, like not hungover, not trying to deal with my headache. And like, I want to be that girl. And I had a picture of me on a scooter in Nantucket when I was 27. And I went by myself and like took all these pictures of lighthouses and got sandwiches and went to the beach. And again, I was so happy. I was like driving down these roads with like a scooter in the wind and just like, this is amazing. And so those visual images do really ground you and sort of make you imagine yourself as a different person. Yes. It's that vision casting that if you see it, you can be it. And when yeah. we don't know anyone who, who is living that life, having these images, and I think that I'm a very visual person anyway, but these images can really help to evoke emotion where we, we can feel it. We can imagine, we can draw comparisons to things we've experienced in the past, like the scootering and so on yeah. to, to then feel like, okay, yeah, I, I get it. I can imagine myself doing that because when we have always drunk, when we've traveled, we 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 can only imagine that sort of scenario, that sort of thing. And I remember being so terrified after my fir- before my first sober trip, because to me it had always been fun to drink in the airport, to drink on the plane, to drink as soon as I got there, to drink as much as possible. And from eleven a.m. the entire time I was on holiday, because it's holiday means drinking. Yeah, exactly. What are you going to do? So. Before I went on my first trip, and it was only to Sydney, I was so terrified because I was like, I don't know what it's going to be like. And again, like these lists, these vision boards can really help to make us feel more relaxed, to help to ground us. And when I got there, lo and behold, what I discovered was that I'd always craved this feeling of being carefree, especially on travel in, when I was traveling. And so I thought that alcohol gave me that feeling of being like, oh, I'm so carefree and everything's great. What I discovered was that I felt so much more carefree when I was sober because I would wake up in the morning and, you know, there's the sunlight's pouring through the trees and there's birds and stuff. And even walking through the city, it was like, wow, this feels so good. This feels so grounding. And I feel so happy and curious and together and with it than I ever did before. And how much more carefree I felt to not be hating myself in the mornings, to not be constantly chasing the next drink of like, when is the next drink going to happen? So it, it was so much freedom and it was such a revelation of like, wow, travel is actually better. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And it's also, it's hard to like when you're drinking, you wake up and, you know, like for me, I didn't always remember how I got home. Like luckily my husband, like it was just his designated job to basically be in charge once I had three drinks. Like it was his job to get me home and wake up in the morning and just trying to being a little defensive, feeling like shit, trying to overcompensate. Even once you start drinking, like being like, Ooh, am I getting too out of control? Like, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's a shitload of work. And it's actually the opposite of carefree because you're overthinking everything from how loud you're talking to what you're saying to if you're dropping something. Exactly. And also I would be watching other people's glasses, making sure that they didn't have more than me. I would be worrying about where the next bottle's coming from. And yeah, it was so much work, right? It was so much work. And to, to, to liberate ourselves from all of that is like, whoa, we put down this heavy, heavy load. We get so much back in terms of time, money, energy, headspace. It's just incredible. Yeah. Well, so what do you do? I mean, I know the evenings are really hard times for people, meaning like, yeah, you can go travel or during the day you do, you know, your acro yoga, although that's like a (laughs) one-time thing, but like you go for a walk, you go for a hike, you go for brunch, but like the evenings are a time when people are like other people who you're friends with might be gearing up to go out. And how do you sort of wrap your head around both not putting yourself in a triggering situation where you just feel that longing because everything's centered around alcohol and yet not feeling left out or like you're missing out on the fun. Yeah. And I think this also comes back to the uh, making other plans for nighttime, right? Going to like, I at first I would just switch up my routine. So I would go to evening classes of, of exercise classes, or I would ask friends to go to the cinema, or, you know, I would make different plans that things that didn't really involve alcohol. And again, coming back to where I, where I was as a teenager, like the things I used to enjoy as a teenager, And even just like having a movie night with a friend and ordering a pizza, right? That was so much fun when we were kids. And so I would be like trying things like that. And where there were habits where I used to pour a glass of wine while making dinner, that sort of thing, I would make it more fun uh, as a, uh, in regards to what I was drinking. So I would get out a fancy glass and I would make a sparkly, I, I always liked very bit uh, sparkly mocktails. And so I would experiment with different flavors and especially with citrus in them and, and stuff like that. And I found also crunchy snacks were really good for for stress relieving, especially mm-hmm. in those early days. So carrot sticks or, you know, celery sticks or things like that, for some reason, it's just really therapeutic. But I would, yeah, play, play with different things like that. Or I would take a bath or, you know, really mix up the routine. And I think often as well, we put too much pressure on ourselves. Like if for example, one of my clients, she she was like, okay, I'm on board with the crunchy snacks. I'm on board with the uh, with the mocktails. And she got her kids involved as well. She said, I always used to take everything on board and feel so stressed out because I was trying to do everything myself. She said, now I bring the kids in. We all have crunch on these uh, carrot sticks. They help me make dinner. And it's sort of an experience together. And so just really switching things up and being like, how can I make this more fun? That's always like a, a, big, a big question for me along the way because, you know, again, like if, if it's not fun, I feel like it doesn't stick. And yeah. so I would be bringing that up all the time of like, okay, I'm in a funk. I, I'm in a terrible mood. 
what can I do to shake myself out of this? What can I do to make this more fun? And, you know, sometimes in early sobriety, if we need to just have a picnic instead of making dinner, if we need to order in or, you know, make things easier for ourselves in any way possible, go ahead and do that because it's hard enough to change an entire lifestyle without also shooting all over ourselves. Like I should do this or I should do that. Instead, I was like, everything's out the window. If I can only manage to make two minute noodles for dinner, then that's what's going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. And I big on like sober treats and getting mm-hmm. planning in advance. You can look forward to them and getting a sober treat every day, especially like my first couple of weeks, like on Fridays, I'd like schedule it. This is pre COVID. I would schedule like a facial or a massage or take out sushi or whatever it was like, just go out to a place with the kids and get a milkshake instead of multiple glasses of red wine. And so that was super important for me so that like Friday after work, I had something and then Saturday morning be like, okay, what am I doing Saturday morning? Am I, I was a member of a running club. Like, am I going to do that? Am I going to, you know, just read a book and not worry about chores, but like super important to have your treats planned in advance. So you aren't like, yeah, I stopped drinking and my life fucking sucks. You know, exactly. it's a nightmare. Yes, it's so true. And I found them so important as, as well. I mean, it's really good for rewiring the brain of like, okay, these are the things that we're gaining instead of what we think we're giving up. We're gaining all yeah. of this and silly things as well. Like I remember going to the cinema the first session in the morning because you usually have, well, definitely in, in Western Australia, you usually have the whole cinema to yourself. No one else is there at like 10 in the morning. And yeah. I would have popcorn for breakfast, you know, just like silly uh, things like that, that would feel like a little bit naughty, a little bit fun, a little bit silly, just to make me realize that, you know, there's a whole bunch of life out there. There's a whole spectrum and huge, big vision of life that I hadn't experienced, that I hadn't let myself be open to because I was too busy focused on drinking. Yeah. And you don't realize that even though you're doing all these things. Like you said, you're going to the comedy club, you're going out to drink, you're drinking at brunch, you're drinking with everything, that your life is actually getting pretty small. There is 80% of life that you have just automatically disqualified because it somehow interferes with your drinking, which is like, you've got your blinders on, that's the focus. Mm -hmm. And did that blow your mind when you first could drive home from things? Oh my God. It just blew my mind. I remember we were, I I said to my love one day when we're getting ready to go to a party and I said, do you want to call the cab? And he's like, what? We're driving. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're driving. And it just would blow my mind whenever I would want to leave. And this feels so empowering to me. Whenever I want to leave somewhere, guess what? I've got the keys. I'm ready to go. I'm not standing on a street corner waiting for a cab, waiting for an Uber. And now I'm just, I, I just leave. And it's all so, it feels so like empowering. It just feels so, like I feel so confident in it. Oh, yeah. something I wanted to to say to you as well, because um. I'm not sure if you're you're into the whole um, Bachelor Nation thing. <laughs> but, I do not watch it, but I'm sure a million people do. I was watching the Bachelorette, the re- most recent season, mm-hmm. and the the person that she chose, he has been sober for ten years. Oh, and, 
Yeah, and it just, I was popping my fist. I was loving this so much because he was totally smashing the stigma and he was so fun. And, you know, I know that you had mentioned before that that some of your clients worry about dating when they're yes. sober and, and what that will be like. And that it'll be like a liability or a strike against you. Or... Exactly. And I thought to her about, I was thinking about from her perspective when she was choosing him and I thought, God, what a great choice because he's he's not going to do anything stupid. You know, I, when I think about my behavior when in the past when I was drinking, I was always flirting, always making stupid mistakes, always, you know, being so embarrassing, really, when I think about it. I thought I was so glamorous and I thought I was so sexy. And, you know, in reality, I probably look like a giant buffoon. I was just a mess all the time and so sloppy and I thought it was so sexy to to drink and there's actually nothing sexy about it because if you think about like in the past, I remember meeting a few women, not many, but I would meet a few where they totally had their shit together. And I thought, wow, you know, I, I was so in awe of them. Like I was intimidated and I was just like, how do they do that? And when I was thinking about this guy, he was so grounded in himself, so confident and so has his shit together. And I thought, God, how attractive is that to someone, to someone who is emotionally healthy? And I think that's such an important thing as well. When we stop drinking, you you want to match with someone who's emotionally healthy and, and they will find your sobriety so attractive because you're not going to act like a complete idiot. You're going to be to be responsible and you're going to take responsibility for your actions. And that's so appealing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, when you when you step away from it and again, step away from the stigma or whatever, if someone is going to have an issue with the fact that you are don't have alcohol in your mojito, right? You can always get like a non-alcoholic mojito or whatever it is, then what is the issue with that, right? Like what are, you know, why do they care so much with what's in your glass? And yeah, you tend to, like when you said, when you were drinking, you were just half-assing it through life, right? Like saying, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then never doing it. Like that's kind of annoying too. I remember when I was waking up, when I was drinking and my husband would always be like, how are you feeling? And I was just like, you're such a dick for asking me that question <laughs> because I was so defensive and yes. you know, I felt like shit and what an asshole to call me out on it. <laughs> Totally. Oh my gosh. I I thought that all the time and my behavior when I was hungover, because when we're not feeling good about ourselves, we don't act in in the best way either. And because I never really felt good about myself, I wasn't my best self. I wasn't always great fun to be around. Most of the time wasn't. I was defensive and I was sort of cagey and not very open because, you know, I was trying to keep all this stuff locked down tight inside of me. How are you sort of trustworthy and reliable? How are you a great partner? And how are you fun when you've got all of this going on? Yeah. And also like looking for people and like, you know, in the same way that you, and I'm not, not just partners, but also just friends, like actually having a list, you know, I'm a list girl too, of like, (laughs) what is attractive to you and another person and paying attention to who lights you up and who drags you down? Because I think when we're drinking, we really 
put up with a lot of shit. Yes. And some toxic people because they're our drinking buddy. And also when you're with them, they do not bring out the best in you. Like you gossip when you wish you wouldn't, or you spill secrets that you shouldn't have. You violated someone's trust. And you're just like, why did I engage in that? As opposed to like actually being like identifying, like, here's a person who I want to spend more time with. Here's a person who makes me feel like the best version of myself or inspires me. And actually being like, I'm going to seek those people out. Yeah, so much, right? Because we do, we put up with so much when we're drinking. We, because we don't feel good about ourselves. And, you know, there's that saying that we accept the love that we think we deserve. Mm -hmm. And so often in friendships, I would accept this lackluster, these sort of damaged and, and toxic relationships because that's where I was. I wasn't emotionally healthy. So how could I match with someone else who was emotionally healthy? And it was very much a process of waking up when I stopped drinking of being like, whoa, that person doesn't treat me very well. And it was also a process of thinking back and thinking how I had behaved in the past. And there were many sort of friendships that I thought, I I need to repair this. I need to show up for her as a better friend because I really wasn't when I was drinking. You know, I was very selfish and and self-involved in a way because I was always, you know, focused on, oh my gosh, what did I do and where did I go and and all of these things. And I wasn't there completely 100% for her. And so it's really this process of, of starting to, I always think of it as waking up, starting to wake up and be like, oh, okay, who do I want in my life? Who do I feel great around and have fun with? And how can I be a better friend for her? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so what did you tell your friends when you first quit drinking in terms of like people feeling like if you stop drinking, sobriety is going to be boring or dull or no fun, or you don't want to be seen as quote unquote damaged in some way? Like, what did you say to all your drinking friends when you first stopped? And this was so scary, right? This was so scary. Oh my gosh. I said that I was on a health kick, that I was doing a three-month health kick. And some friends were like, oh gosh, you know, what are you doing that for? Gosh, I'd rather not not eat than not drink for for three months. God, you've got to be kidding me. Mm -hmm. Others were supportive and then others were sort of worried about yeah, what? how are we going to be together? Like, well, so what? You're not going to see us for three months. And there were others that also that sort of just like gave each other sideways looks and said, oh, okay. <laughs> and so for those ones, I was horrified because I was like, has everyone been waiting for this? And they're like, yeah, thank, thank goodness she's finally going to do it. I was convinced they were all talking behind my back and it was just awful. But it that really helped me just to say it's a three-month health kick. I'm taking a break from drinking because it allowed me time to get used to not drinking and it allowed my friends and family to start to see me in a new light. So for those three months, they were like, okay, it's just three months, you know, and they would see me not drinking and they started to get used to it. So then when I got to the three months, I was like, no, I'm just going to try six months And so I would just keep moving it that way. So we sort of all grew in that seeing me in a new light. So, you know, different people find different ways of of approaching it. But for me, that was what worked. That is literally the exact same thing I did. I was like, (laughs) this is a health kick. I, you know, I'm going to do a hundred day no alcohol challenge because I'm feeling sluggish, no energy, anxiety, bad, not working out. I mean, it was all true. And it also, in terms of that identity-based habit and building the person you want to be, 
that was a hundred percent true. I mean, I think removing alcohol is one of the best moves you can make for your health way better than joining a workout class. I mean, that is great too. But when you think about what truly drags your body and your mind down, it's so important. So that is both true and positive and forward-looking and stops your mind from freaking the fuck out about like, what does this mean? And it's not like punitive. Like, I think what trips people up is like, I can't drink. I'm like a teenager who's been grounded and lost my car keys, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Exactly. That approach I thought is never going to work for me because as soon as I tell myself I can't do something, well, I'm going to rebel against that. You know, there's going to be a rebellion. And so I was like, yeah, I'm choosing not to for this time period. And that really helped me to stay focused. And, you know, I originally had that intention of the three months, but I didn't know if I could do that. So I was also breaking it down where I was like, okay, 30 days, 30 days. And then I, I hope to do three months, but I know I can do 30 days if I really apply myself. How, you know, if I if I can't do 30 days, it says a lot about my drinking habits. Yeah. And so, you know, once I got to there, you know, you start to feel better about yourself. You start to build your self-esteem and feel like, oh, okay, I can actually do hard things. I can actually apply myself to something and get somewhere and be a woman of my word as well, because I'd broken so many promises to myself in the past where I'll only have three drinks and then I'd have 10. You know, I I didn't trust myself to be able to follow through. So to actually accumulate these days and just be focused on, okay, I'm choosing not to, and I'm choosing to do all of these other fun things instead for this time period. And just to, as an experiment, just to see what it's like. And That really helped me just to get through those those first few months of living in such a different way. Yeah. And it also sparks everyone else into just talking about their health kicks. Like anytime you say you're doing something healthy, everybody wants to talk about themselves, either what they should be doing or like the time they did a triathlon or the time they <laughs> or like getting a Peloton or you know, immediately everybody wants to talk about themselves. So it's also a great way of like deflecting attention, right? Like, Ooh, I'm worried I have a problem with drinking. Then all eyes are on you. Whereas if you're like, I'm doing a health kick, you're like, Oh yeah, me too. I'm totally, or I need to, or exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a fun way to, to, to frame it. Right. And, and a lot of people understand this as well. Like I thought my colleagues would be so hard on hard on me for this, but many of them understood it. Like we had a running joke that at our work, it wasn't so much a midlife crisis where people bought a sports car. It was more like midlife crisis and people signed up for a triathlon. It was just like this thing where, and so there was this culture of, yeah, you know, you do, when you're not feeling good, you do a health kick. And so it was much more acceptable, I guess. Yeah. Well, and so I know that one of your free coaching things you have on your website, which is amazing, is the question of sobriety versus moderation. And I'd love to just get your quick take on that because I know that that's one of the, you know, like in my mind, there is no one who comes to a time period where they want to eliminate alcohol who is probably not quote unquote tried to moderate for like years, Mm -hmm. you know, what's your take on that? I mean, there were so many things and, and not thinking about the concept of forever was one of them just as a way to help. But I think with moderation, yeah, exactly. I had been going around and around with moderation for a long time and I didn't think of it that way. Well, I kind of did because I was thinking, well, I'll only drink 
on Fridays. I'll only drink three drinks. I'll only drink vodka and not white wine. I will only, you know, the, all these rules and I broke them over and over again. And I kept trying to get a handle on it while, where I would go for a few weeks and I would drink like, you know, feel, 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 feel okay about my drinking where I didn't do anything terrible. And, but then every so often something terrible would happen and I'd be like, Oh God, why can't I get a handle on this thing? And I used to just be so devastated with myself. And my biggest take on sobriety versus moderation is the freedom, is that aspect of freedom. You know, we were talking about that feeling carefree and putting down all of that stuff where it takes up so much headspace and so much heart space trying to control this drinking when we don't need it. <laughs> we we do not need alcohol one little bit. And, you know, that sort of revelation was so huge to me. I was like, all this this feeling of being carefree, this feeling of freedom that I'd always wanted, it exists in sobriety. It existed inside the thing I was most terrified of is where it actually lived. And to to actually just say, okay, I'm not drinking at all, that was so helpful because all of a sudden, all of that noise just moved away where I was just felt free for the first time of like, I have all of my faculties now. I have all of my headspace, all of my heart space to put towards creating the life that I truly want, to put towards uh, living my best life and reaching my potential and doing all of these things that I'd always wanted to do, but never had the courage or the tenacity or the the get up and go to do because I was too busy drinking. And to me, that is the most beautiful thing about sobriety is that that freedom to move forward in a new way. So what does, I'm just curious, what is living your best life for you look like right now? Like what's what's part of that? Uh, part of that is um, really having fun in those new ways. And lately I've been, because I never thought of myself as a sporty person I, either. I was always, you know, in high school when all the other girls were on the netball call, I was in the library, you know, I was <laughs> never, never an outdoorsy or sporty person. But lately I've been really loving meeting up with friends and doing more sporty activities. And this blows my mind because it's something I never thought I would enjoy. And so living my best life, you know, to me is finding fun in new ways. It's challenging myself because I find that is so good for our self-esteem and so good for have to have a sense of purpose to feel like, yeah, I achieved something today and I'm really proud of that. I never really had that feeling of being proud of myself before. Mm -hmm. So that really is so impactful to me. And to feel like, I'm putting all of myself into my relationships and getting so much out of them as a result. And, you know, they always say we get out of life what we put into it. And I feel like I'm putting so much more into it and I'm getting so much more out of it, so much more fulfillment and so much depth that I never had before. Yeah, that's beautiful. And one of the things I love uh, is that, you know, when you when you have the sexy sobriety social channels and your website, you talk about helping women get their sparkles back. And, you know, I, I know women listening to this, if they're struggling with drinking or trying to stop, like you do not feel sparkly, you know, you just don't, you feel fucking tired. Mm -hmm. You feel somewhat defeated. You feel like the only time you're sparkly is when you're in those first couple drinks. And 
you know, for me, I would, would drink for three hours a night and make the other 21 hours so much worse, including yes. my sleep and my mornings and my dragging and my white knuckling it. So the idea that you can get your sparkle back, which is so clear, like even in your eyes, once you stop drinking, like your eyes get so much brighter and whiter. Like, I love that idea. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I remember an ex-boyfriend saying to me, you've lost your personality. Because the next day I would just be thinking about, oh, God, why did I do that? Did someone else see me do that? Will anyone invite me to anything again? Because I made such a fool of myself. You know, I was constantly thinking about all this stuff. So I couldn't be sparkly and bubbly and and all of those things. It only came out when I was drinking. So it wasn't real. It wasn't authentic. So when we get this back, when we feel good about ourselves and we wake up with energy and we feel revitalized and and have a new lease on life, we feel sparkly and bubbly and in a way that's authentic and joyful and that people respond to as well. Yeah. And I felt so much less optimistic and so much less capable to cope with life and work and stresses. And I'm a super, I would say, optimistic, happy, nice person. And one of my friends even was like, you're not as nice as you used to be. Like I would drink and I would say things that were not as kind as they should have been. And, you know, it was just like, I was the opposite of sparkly other than like that first couple drinks. Right. And then, but the whole rest of the day, the whole next day, the, the big low of waking up and being hungover and trying to pull yourself out or trying not to drink and just being so irritated and pissed off that you're not drinking and just trying to be like, why am I doing this? Like you're so in your head. Mm-hmm, exactly. And that it's like waking up from all of that. It's just really releasing it and feeling like, you know, I, I'm, I feel like a whole person now. I felt, I felt like mm-hmm. I was just a shadow before. Yeah. Well, so tell us about sexy sobriety and the work you do. And if people want to learn more where they can get in touch with you. Yeah, so so I run Sexy Sobriety, which is a a 90-day program, and you know, I call it 90 lessons in self-love because I feel like that's so missing when we stop drinking or you know, before we stop drinking is I didn't know how to love and care for myself. And so we have all of these steps that that people can do in different exercises and also a lot of interviews with women who have stopped drinking and what their experience was like, because I didn't know anyone who hadn't had stopped drinking and I certainly didn't know what that could look like. And so we have thousands of members from around the world. So yeah, if you want to come and join us, please do. And also we have a, a free coaching call where I talk more about the sobriety versus moderation issue. So you can find that on sexysobriety.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here. It has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Casey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. 
Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.